Welcome to the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Jessica Chiam, Founder and Managing Director of Eco Business. And this week, we're talking about the very timely and complex topic of the energy transition. The International Energy Agency made headlines this week with its new Net Zero report, which stated that energy groups must stop new oil and gas projects so that we can reach Net Zero by 2050. With governments and corporates around the world also pledging Net Zero targets in recent years, are we finally seeing the action we need to keep global warming in check? My guest today is Maud Texier, Head of Energy Development at tech giant Google. She leads Google's efforts to achieve 24-7 carbon-free energy for its data centers worldwide. Prior to joining Google, Maud was Head of Industrial Energy Products at Tesla. Hi Maud, thank you for joining us here today. Hi Jessica, thank you for hosting me. I'd like to dive right in. You know, around the world, we've been seeing this growing momentum on net zero pledges. And there's been a lot of optimism and even, you know, praise for corporates and governments who are doing this. But at the same time, there's also been a lot of criticism that a lot of this is greenwashing. Where do you stand on this? Yeah, I think this is a great question. And to your point earlier, we see a lot of momentum. On the other side, this is really the last decade for us to be able to truly mitigate the effects of climate change. So if there's a moment for us to really think about action, I think this is really now. And I do think this is very positive uh, signals, seeing uh, organizations, very well-recognized organizations, such as the IEA, actually putting publicly a roadmap to achieve net zero by 2050. Um, I think on our side at Google, we're a very strong supporter of those efforts. To your point, it's also about how do you define your programs and how do you measure your impact? Um, And we've been trying our best to do that. And this is why actually last year we announced our new program around 24-7 carbon-free energy because we felt that was a necessary move for us to having the impact that we need to have to help with electricity decarbonizations. So all along, I think it's a a very uh, positive and, uh, and and, and strong signals that IEA and others are sending to the market right now. And hopefully it's really creating the momentum that needs to happen you know, by the end of the decade for us to do the changes that have to happen. I totally agree. Um, we really do need some strong signals from the markets and we are finally seeing that. Um, let's talk a little bit about Google's sustainability commitments. It was among the first companies to match energy use with 100% renewable energy in 2017. And the company claims to operate the cleanest global cloud in the industry and is the world's largest corporate purchaser of renewable energy. So tell us more, how did Google get there? Yeah, actually, it's a very long story uh, that started well before uh, before me joining the company. Um, last year, we announced what we call the start of a third decade of climate actions, actually, uh, because Google really started in the early 2000s uh, with our first sustainability programs. Actually, in 2007, for um, as one of the first large corporates, we started a carbon neutrality program. And so since 2007, the company is carbon neutral every year. Uh, matching their carbon footprint. What I really like with Google is why they started early uh, and achieved this carbon neutrality almost uh, you know, 15, 15 to 20 years ago now. Um, we still always try to do a little bit further in like what, how do we keep creating more impact based on our footprint? And so when the team started uh, being carbon neutral, we also looked at our actual uh, breakdown or, or what is making our carbon footprint And we realized very quickly that electricity was core and center of this footprint. 
our infrastructure was growing a lot. Google was really expanding rapidly. Uh, the data centers were consuming electricity to try to fulfill the needs uh, in terms of compute. And so that's why the team really decided to uh, refine their approach to sustainability and carbon footprint and to really look at electricity as something very specific and how we could make a change um, not just uh, from a carbon footprint perspective, but from the source perspective. How can we really find the clean energy in the first place? So in 2010, um, Google started uh, their clean energy program uh, for the first time, and we started signing contracts with renewable energy uh, projects across the world. And that really helped us achieve our 100% renewable energy uh, goal by uh, 2017. And so since that year, so now for the first year in a row, we've been matching our global electricity consumption with the renewable energy projects that we've been funding throughout the globe. Um, but once again, this is the first year that we've been uh, matching our load annually with clean energy. And so a few years ago, we started thinking again about what do we need to do more to really achieve true decarbonization, true carbon-free electricity, which is our ultimate goal. And this is really what brought us to um, our next stage in our sustainability journey, which is 24-7 carbon-free energy by 2030, and making sure that we can source clean electricity everywhere and every hour for data centers moving forward. I think this is really commendable and also actually quite difficult because, you know, a lot of your efforts revolve around developing and buying renewable energy. And although we've seen RE capacity rising tremendously year on year, but demand far outstrips supply and actually many corporates who want to buy renewable energy can't. So what is Google's strategy here? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, renewable energy procurement has been very important for us in our programs in the past. Today, I think we actually have over the equivalent of 5.5 gigawatts of projects around the world across wind and solar. But one thing to realize is, uh, first of all, for the 24-7 carbon-free energy program, it's about finding clean electricity in all hours and all places. And so this means that we're going to need to go beyond renewable energy and the traditional wind and solar. And so for this program, we have to take a slightly different approach moving forward. And we're really uh, looking at the program with uh, three pillars or three core work streams. First of all, uh, this is about transactions and, and procuring clean energy, but in a slightly different fashion. Second of all, this is about finding new technologies beyond wind and solar. And then finally, it's about policy change and really driving not just uh, the Google activities, but more fundamental market changes. And so in terms of transactions, we are really changing or, 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 or looking at an evolution of our models going from traditional contract structures of renewable energy with what we call corporate power purchase agreement or PPAs um, to more advanced contracting structures that really gives you visibility on what type of electricity are you getting every hour. And for instance, we just um, recently announced our first 24-7 carbon-free energy supply contract, uh, which will be for data center in Virginia. Um, and this is with our partner AES who is uh, creating a portfolio for us of uh, carbon-free electricity from very different resources to guarantee at least 90% uh, of the of a load in Virginia to be covered with carbon-free electricity. So this means that now they go beyond the wind projects or solar projects. They're going to bundle batteries and hydro and wind and solar all together to really give us this, um, this full block of carbon-free electricity that we're looking for. And in terms of uh, new technologies, um, we're also looking at uh, advancing the technologies that might not be ready quite yet uh, beyond wind and solar. 
And so an example is uh, geothermal, actually. Uh, we announced our partnership with uh, um, an early stage company called Fervo, who is working on advanced geothermal. And we're going to develop with them the first uh, pilot sites in Nevada for data center in Nevada. And this is a, an example of the types of technologies that today are not quite ready for full scale or for off-the-shelf procurement, but that we identified as high potential in terms of cost efficiency, carbon-free electricity, and scalability by 2030. And so that's why we really want to partner with, um, with those technologies to try to accelerate their curves by 2030. That's really wonderful to hear. But you know, a lot of these markets are developed in Virginia and the US and Europe and so on and so forth. But in Asia, renewable energy is very much still developing and there is just not enough RE, you know, and, and how do you actually then implement that strategy in a developing region like Asia? Yeah, this is, this is a great point. I think um, it's really about, I would say, the two pillars that I just referred to, which is technologies on one side and what can we do beyond traditional wind and solar that might be less available in certain regions. And the second pillar, which is really about policy and market change. And I think especially in Asia, we've seen a, a lot of positive changes around that, that last pillar. An example is in Taiwan, where we have a data center. And actually in uh, 2017, uh, the Taiwanese legislations amended the Electricity Act so that moving forward, customers would have, have free access um, to renewable energy procurement. And so what that means, um, you know, from a more concrete perspective, and, and they are still uh, putting in place the, the amendment from an operational perspective, um, it's really that moving forward, a consumer such as Google can go and find a contract uh, with a renewable energy project, wind or solar, uh, with a developer, and they can sign this contract and this electricity is going to be passed through to them through the electricity bill uh, with the local utilities. And so that really creates a, a strong signal and, and marketplace because now you are connecting two players in the electricity grids that uh, prior to that could not really transact or, or commercialize between each other. And so on one side, you have renewable energy developers who have know this pool of customers uh, willing to buy their electricity and sign long-term contracts, which help them finance more projects in exchange. And on the other side, you have customers who are, can really own the strategy for clean energy in those regions moving forward, and also leverage this clean electricity um, to procure their against their future needs and really to, to create their own strategy on procurement and, and manage uh, the price and the electricity structure. So I think it's a very positive outcome and that was a key win for a lot of consumers in that market and we see a lot of similar changes happening in the region. That's really encouraging to hear and you know we would hope that all the other Asian countries can also make similar legislative changes. Um, so you know I'm going to put you on the spot a little because obviously with Google's influence and your power you can you can kind of go and negotiate these deals and actually go and purchase these renewable energy projects. Um, but there has been some concern that it crowds out smaller players, you know, smaller corporates who also want to buy offsets for their energy demand. What is your response here? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, question because on one side, we are, Google has a large footprint. So we, we should take responsibility of our footprint. And, and for that, I'm, I'm really happy to see, you know, all the efforts that Google is putting there. Um, and then on the other side, when you look back at, you know, what happened on the market over the past 10 years, there is a very strong role that the large players such as Google have played in actually making carbon-free electricity available for more users and consumers in general. Um, 
the example I just referred to in Taiwan uh, is really opening the market to all consumers, not just large corporates like Google. So that's that's really a more fundamental market change there that creates um, a room for innovations of products for other types of consumers. And then on the other side, um, if you look at 10 years ago, when we signed our first power purchase agreement, uh, which was for a wind farm in, in the US, um, the cost of wind and solar were pretty high back then. And when you look back at the 10 years, um, I'm using a US data point here, but really uh, you see a large share of the procurement of renewable energy being done by private companies and large corporates. Gigawatts of capacity of clean energy has been added to the US grids over the past 10 years, thanks to the large corporates. And so here we really play the role in the sense that we're maybe more early adopters, but we also created the market signal at scale that really helps accelerate the development and uh, the cost uh, efficiencies of a lot of those technologies. And so that's why with the 24-7 carbon-free energy program, we hope to be able to recreate the same market signal beyond wind and solar, but for new technologies, new places that maybe so far hasn't uh, seen so much demand or, or pressure on the consumer side to get access to those technologies. Now with this framework, we have this incentive to make this happen in every regions and every hours. And so that once again should trigger a lot of innovations um, across, the, across the space. I'm really glad you brought that up, you know, about being an early adopter and then, you know, kind of uh, footing the upfront costs. For example, you said, you know, traditional wind and solar was very expensive 10 years ago. Um, and actually cost remains a challenging issue for many corporates who want to also become carbon neutral. Um, and they feel that it's, a, it's very expensive and the tangible benefits are far in the future. So what is actually Google's motivation, you know, for kind of uh, taking on that cost and what benefits do you see today? Yeah, um, I would say I imagine that over the last 20 years of Google engagement on climate, you know, the perception has been changing a little bit. But especially in the, uh, the last few years, um, we have seen a huge shift on how sustainability is perceived in the business space. Um, meaning by that, that a lot of time um, climate change is not just about a sustainability program anymore. Um, it makes just business sense. Um, and what we've seen is a couple of studies actually where that showed that um, today consumers really cares about sustainability. And actually there was a study um, referenced, um, sorry, referenced uh, recently uh, from the National Retailer Federation and IBM actually. So they conducted this research that shows that on average 54% of the consumers today are ready to pay a higher price if it has that help them reduce their carbon footprint. And I think this is a very strong signal because now from a business perspective, you see that you can increase your market share, that you can create a, um, a really a different shader from your competitors uh, by bringing sustainability to your consumers. And so I would say it really shifts the narrative from sustainability being a cost center to really becoming more business opportunities and uh, an opportunity for you to expand your market. And so that's why, for instance, that with Google, we started on a true sustainability program. But today, we are really aiming to run the cleanest cloud in the industry because we know that this is what our uh, customers and consumers want. And so we're really trying to identify the services that they need uh, to mitigate their own carbon footprint and to try to minimize as much as possible uh, their footprint once they join our own cloud services. 
That's wonderful. Actually, on this point uh, on the cloud, EcoBusiness recently published a white paper with Digital Realty, which is one of the world's largest data centers providers. Um, this paper was called The Growth of Data Centers in the Face of Climate Change. And actually, in our survey of business leaders in the region, majority actually said that sustainability now features high in their technology decisions. And this was something that you would not have seen just a few years ago. In, in your opinion, what do you think has changed? Why is sustainability so important now in data centers, in the cloud? And how is Google responding to these changing demands? Yeah, I think the role of uh, and, and the potential of cloud and cloud computing in sustainability is becoming more and more apparent. Um, there was a recent IDC report actually that was stating that cloud computing could prevent 1 billion tons of carbon emissions by 2024. Um, so I think that represents the really the potential um, and, and the central role that we can play in, in sustainability and fighting climate change in general. And I think in general, we conducted also our own research and when we're having discussions and dialogues with our own consumers, we really see that uh, sustainability is becoming central to IT decisions. An example is actually 24% of the global IT uh, leaders um, who we talked to started adding sustainability as one of the key metrics for decisions for them. And actually when ranking those key metrics, sustainability came at the third place, the third uh, position. And this is higher than price. Um, and so actually, so I think that's really a strong signal for us to understand who and what role we can play in sustainability. And, and this, as I mentioned earlier, it really becomes a demand from the customers moving forward. And so this, this pull from the market, I think is, is dramatically um, accelerating the transformation of the business. This is really fascinating. I was quite impressed with that figure that you mentioned, preventing 1 billion tons of emissions by 2024. For the listeners who don't really know where this is coming from, can you explain why does the cloud enable such huge savings on emissions? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I, I will use an example from you know the Google Cloud footprint, but because we have this um, global presence in terms of data centers, we can offer options to our customers um, in terms of cleanest regions and not. And so, for instance, on our cloud console, we, um, we issued a tool recently which helps you understand which regions uh, you could run your services on, uh, which region will be the most sustainable, and comparing that to other metrics such as pricing and latency. And so it's really helping our customers developing their own strategies so that we're not just compensating the footprint, but in the first place, we don't even have to generate it anymore. That's wonderful. You just reminded me of something, and I hope to be able to ask you this before we wrap up our podcast, um, which is that renewable energy is, you know, obviously um, really playing a key role in driving the energy transition and the quest to net zero. But there have been some criticism that the circularity of renewable energy, you know, is in question in terms of the wind turbines or the solar panels. Um, is this a concern for Google in terms of, you know, the, the uh, resource use that's in renewable energy uh, and the extent of of which it can be recycled? Yeah, I would say in general, we're trying to look at our initiatives, not just from the operational perspective, but what we call uh, through the, the whole life cycle, right? Um, this can be true for how you generate electricity. This is also true for uh, how we build data centers, uh, how we use batteries. And so I, I do think that it's interesting to see this topic becoming more and more important because as we're building and accelerating the deployment of renewable energy, it's important to identify those solutions early so that we can mitigate the impact. 
Um, an example I would use is in the battery space. Um, early on, a lot of lithium-ion chemistries were using cobalt, which is also a little bit of a more difficult rare materials. And today we see a lot of uh, techni technical innovations looking at uh, alternative chemistries who are actually using less harmful or difficult to find type of, of components. So I really think that there's a lot of uh, innovations happening in that space in terms of uh, finding new materials, finding new ways of recycling uh, batteries and other components. Um, so we will definitely be supporting those, uh, those efforts and uh, keep an eye on it. Wonderful. And just one last question to wrap up the podcast. If you had one wish that you could see, you know, happening in the world that would get us to net zero, what would that be? Oh, you, you tricked me right there. Uh, <laughs> just one wish, are you sure? <laughs> no, uh, it's, it's less of a wish, but, uh, but I think with 24-7 uh, carbon-free energy by 2030 is an ambitious goal, and I know we call it a moonshot uh, for that purpose. Um, but my, my wish is actually I think we'll get there. And, uh, and if Google gets there, I think many other people uh, will get there. And so I guess my wish is that many more people embark on this true grid decarbonization journey so that all together we can create a strong signal and push for those last nine years now that we have left. Wonderful. Thank you. That's such a nice and positive note to uh, wrap up this podcast with. Thank you so much for being our guest here. That was a most interesting discussion. And thank you listeners for listening to the EB podcast. For more coverage on these issues and more, check out our website, www.ecobusiness.com and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud or Spotify. Our podcast editor today is Benjamin Wong. I'm Jessica Chiam. Till next time.